Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Continue a study that we've done here in the, we're doing here in uh, December entitled "The Gift of Love," and we're trying to think in terms of not only uh, what God has done for us, but why He has done what He has done for us. The why we looked at last time we were together, we looked at the reality that He wanted to finish the work that He had started for us, what He had started within us. Today we want to look at another one, which is probably already one that you know, but we want to study that together now. I have on my phone, I don't know if you can see it from that distance, but I have a compass, and this is a little app you can download on your phone. And it's interesting because compasses are wonderful things. You know, back in the old days of navigation, uh, you could navigate, if you could see at nighttime where the North Star was, you could navigate somewhat of your direction that way. Or if it was daylight, you could see the sun comes up in the east, it sets in the west, figure things out. But, but to have a, a system that was foolproof no matter what your visibility was, and you understand that, and I understand how compasses work to some degree. You know, you have this little magnetic needle that spins around, and, and because of the magnetic field, it always just turns around and points toward the north. Now, now we have them in our smartphones, and uh, I don't have any idea how this works in a phone. It's, it's sort of mystifying. There's no needle. There's no magnetic thing spinning around. And if you could explain it to me, do not tell me later, because I won't understand your explanation anyway. So just, just leave that alone. But... But uh, I can turn this around, and I can tell you that north is approximately in the direction, for me anyway, the direction of that tree, back that way, okay? But, you know, I want us to use, and that's kind of my word picture for today. I want us to think in terms of where should our minds naturally point our compass? What, what should be the direction of our thought? Where should our minds go? And I want you to think about that. So we're going to talk about compasses and, and uh, needles and pointing in the right direction. So I just kind of set that up. But today we're going to talk about the glory of God's love, and we're going to go to the most familiar verse in all the Bible, which is John 3.16. If you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to turn there. The words will also be on the screen if you do not. But either way, we want you to be involved in our scriptural study this morning. And we start with this very simple but very profound idea. The coming of God's Son was motivated by God's love for you. It was motivated by God's love. Want to know why he sent his son, why he gave us this gift? It was motivated by the fact that he gave us his son, his gift, because he loved us. And may the Lord help us to, to take the, our internal thought processes and our internal heart processes, and may that always point us back to his love. No matter what's going on in here, what's going on in here, what's going on out there, that we always come back to this reality. May, may the needle of a compass of our heart always point true north, and may it point back to the fact that we remember this, above all else, that we are the objects of God's amazing love. So let's just plunge into it. I want to just share kind of eight descriptions that you see right from the text this morning. By the way, before we get to that, I should mention this about John chapter 3. What's the context? First of all, it begins by Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews of their day, a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus by night because he kind of wants to be sort of subtle about this. And he basically asked Jesus, you know, how can I be part of the kingdom of God? Nicodemus was expecting that Jesus would come up with a list. Here's all the things you do. Here's all the things you don't do. You keep both lists properly. God's just going to welcome you in. 
Instead, Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have to kind of have a restart. You have to start over again. He's confused by that. Can I go back and be born, you know, the natural way? But Jesus talked about spiritual. You need to have new birth. And then he points out the fact that he tells a story or references a story, alludes to a story from the Old Testament, where because of the people's disobedience, and this is during the time of the Exodus, between the time they left Egypt and got to Egypt when Moses was leading them, that as they were traveling, that because of their disobedience, God allowed serpents, snakes, to come in and would bite them, and they were, they were, many people died. And they were crying out, how can we be saved from this, this onslaught of these snakes? And God told Moses, you make this brass, this metal serpent snake, put it on a pole, put it up. If anybody goes and looks at the snake, they'll live. If they've been bitten, they go look at the snake, they'll live. You'll not find this treatment in any medical book as far as I know. But God was saying, I'm going to give you something to believe in. Something you put, If you believe this will work, it will work. And Jesus says in John 3, he says, as the, son, as the serpent was lifted up on that pole in the wilderness, even must the Son of Man, that's himself, would, must be lifted up. And he's alluding to the cross. It's all about faith. And then we come down to our verse for verse 16, which you know probably most of us could quote it by heart. And there's some question, is this the words of Jesus or where does Jesus stop speaking and John start putting commentary into the text? If you have a red letter Bible, many people do, where the, the editors have taken the words that are believed to be what Jesus spoke and they, they show up in red print in the text. But you understand those are editors that no one knows for sure in every circumstance. I tend to think that verse 16, Jesus has stopped speaking and it's probably John commentating, but that's just one man's opinion. Take it for what it's worth. But regardless, these are God's words because it's contained in God's ultimate word in the Bible. First thing we want to see from this verse is this, the greatest source. Let me just read the whole verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God, it is the greatest source, this love that we receive. It comes from God himself. I suspect that if Nicodemus... In his thinking, and now sort of getting shuffled as he goes through this encounter with Jesus, if he would have written this verse, he would have started, but we don't do this, do that, be religious, do these sorts of rituals. If we can do enough in those two categories, then of course God's love will be available for us. But that's not how the verse begins. It begins with the greatest source, for God so loved the world. That's important for any number of reasons, but one is the fact that it is in his nature, it is in the person that he is, that he is loving. After he wrote the Gospel of John, and prior to writing the Revelation, which is the last book of the New Testament, John wrote three letters that are included in the text of Scripture in the New Testament. We know them as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In 1st John, he describes God this way, and he's speaking of his character. He says, for God is love. In the totality of who he is, God is loving. He is a loving God. It comes out of who he is. But also we understand, for God so loved the world, he is not only perfect in his nature, and he, he just loves naturally because that's the kind of person that he is, the kind of God that he is, but he also has the ability to carry through on that. He is infinite. He's almighty. He can do whatever he wants. So it's from that source that not only do we have his heart and concern, we also have his intervention in the form of Jesus Christ coming into this world. Many of us would think of someone that, that we love dearly. And maybe they're hurting because of some physical situation. Maybe they're hurting because of some emotional situation. Maybe they've lost someone in life. And we would do anything we could to alleviate their hurt and to 
bring some love into that situation. But we also then know that we can't. We, we can't change every situation. We can't heal every hurt, every physical situation. And we feel somewhat frustrated by that. But when it says, for God so loved the world, the greatest source not only has the heart, he also has the ability to bring that to pass. So the greatest source, may that help us in those moments when we need to feel and sense God's love. It comes from the source of a God who can, who wants to, and a God who has. May that spin the needle of our compass back and point to true north, that God loves us. We live in a world where there's a rather... Uh, Love is in scarce supply. It's, it's a scarcity. It's in short supply. Even people who love us and we who love other people, we are imperfect in all of the above, are we not? But we need to come back to the source. Then I want you to look at the next word. This is the greatest extent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I'm not trying to edit scripture. I never, never would do that. But just I want to make a point here, if I may. If you took the word so and extracted it from this verse, the sentence would still be a complete sentence. Okay? It, it, it's not a verb. It's not a subject, object, whatever, something that's critical. It doesn't make it make no sense. But it is there to highlight something, and that is the extent of God's love for people like us. For God so loved the world. Well, what fits into that so category that should spin our dials back to his love? Well, how about how we really are? This might be a little uncomfortable, but the Bible is very clear in its description that we are sinners, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we hadn't have sinned and been left sinners, there's no need for a Savior to come, as John 3.16 tells us about, and that we celebrate at Christmas time. There's no need for a Savior if we don't need saving. So we understand that, that we are in need of a Savior. Now, back in the Old Testament, David uses this phrase. He said, I was conceived in sin. That does not mean that his conception was a result of a sinful act. But what he's saying is, in my innate conception, I was born a sinner. I was born with this nature to sin. I was born that I'm going to go that way. And then we've all been had that same passed on to us. That being the case... We then start living that out as we are in this world, and uh, we all go that way. That's the reason Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. It's just what people do. It's the way we go. We're all sinners. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that included people like us. While we were yet sinners, the scripture says, Christ died for us. While we were in that condition, undeserving, only deserving of punishment, for God so loved, that's the greatest extent. It extended to sinners like us. You ever want to feel loved? You, ever, you want to feel, feel a good hug of love? Just remember who we were outside of Christ and all the blessing and love we have in Christ. May God allow us to learn the discipline of just spinning our, our minds together and get in the discipline of thinking of his love. Between where I live and where I am now, this is not, come, it's not going to come as a shock to you, but the road I drive, there is a pothole in the road. I have hit this pothole numerous times. I have made myself a, a, a pledge that I want to try avoiding, because it doesn't move every day. I mean, it's in the same place every day, okay? Sometimes it gets a little bigger, but it's in the same place. So I know where it is. So I've been trying to keep track of how many times I've been down this road and not hit the pothole because I don't want to break the string. 
you might say, that's ridiculous that you need that kind of motivation to miss a pothole. I don't care. Whatever it takes, I'm going to try to do this. I think today was 16, if, I'm not, if my count is correct. 16 times I've been down the hill and avoided that pothole. I want to keep the string going just because I want to have that discipline to think that way. Now, I don't know what the discipline is that we can insert into our lives so that we always think of God's love no matter what's going on, no matter what someone says, no matter how nasty that person was that you work with, no matter what that relative did that hurt you, no matter what's going on in life, no matter where we feel alone and left out, no matter what. I don't know how we get that discipline, but I think the scriptures is the place to start. To discipline our minds that no matter what's going on, we spin the dial around and we point to this reality. For God so loved the world. Now, not only its source and its extent, I want you to look at the next phrase. Here's the greatest good you can find on the earth. For God so loved the world. Now, the word world could actually go with extent that we just talked about because it includes everybody. No one's left out of his love. doesn't matter what language you speak, what country you're from, no matter what you've done, haven't done, no matter what you used to believe, what you believe now, where you are, God loves you. If you're part of this world, and I, if you're here, you are, you're included in this canopy of love, in this extent of love. But I want you to look at this phrase, love the world. Love is one of those things that is very hard to define, even though we all sort of know what it means. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul gives this multi faceted description of love and I've been toying with the idea and thinking about it I'm still praying over it that sometime in the new year I want to just do a study verse by verse actually word by word through 1 Corinthians 13 just to really see the depths of God's love and so maybe this will be a good introduction to it I don't know we'll see how it goes but the, the most basic definition and it's a certainly an insufficient definition but it's the most basic definition I have to give you this morning is simply this to love is to seek someone else's good Seek what is good for that person. Do what is good for that person. Not me, not other things, but for that person. So when it comes to this reality, the greatest good is seen in that he loved this world. He wants what is best for you. And you might say to me, well, sometimes what God allows or what God causes does not always seem what's best for me. Because sometimes this life hurts. Sometimes it's just not pleasant. Some of us have, have, have raised children and, or, you've, or you've seen children at this stage of life. Uh, they, they get to the point where they get a little, usually get a little mobile by crawling. And then we're, we're wanting them to get to the point where they can get up on their feet and start walking on their own. And we're excited about those first steps. We get out the phone, the camera, and we take pictures, and we send it to everybody we know. And we're all excited. They're walking! And about a week later, you wonder, well, now they're really mobile and they're really destroying the house. But that's a different story. However, you know how this works. After the first few steps, they falter and fall. And sometimes they bang their heads, and sometimes they, they scrape their knee, and sometimes they're crying. And, and you would love, as a parent or a loving person, you would love to be there to catch them every time they fell or to prevent them ever from falling. But the truth is the only way they're going to learn to walk is to take a few steps, fall, and get up and try it again. That's sort of the way it is in our spiritual life. Sometimes we take a few steps and we fall, we have hurts, we have things, and God causes or sometimes he allows some things because that's what causes us to grow up. It's part of the maturity process. And he does the loving thing by sometimes giving us the quote-unquote tough love thing to lead us through. 
So you're going through some tough things in life. Remember, God ultimately has the best good intended for you. Well, if life is really not meeting my expectations, maybe he's wanting me to get up off the floor and take a few more steps and to, to, to create some spiritual strength in our lives. Not only the greatest good, but we also see in this verse the greatest gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. He gave him. When we think of this at Christmas time, you think, and probably many of you have them in your home, where you'll see somewhere out, we have a few around the church, where you'll see a nativity scene, and here's this little baby lying in a manger. And we know that Jesus came into this world to be our Savior. It was announced, and we have this very touching, very poignant story of him coming in this humble means and all of that. But I want you to dial back a little bit from God the Father's intention. And this is why I say the greatest gift. Well, it's the greatest gift because it reaches the most people. It's the greatest gift because it does the greatest good for us. But it's also the greatest gift because what more significant thing or person could God give than his own son? Let me just give you a little thought question. Some of you can relate because you have children. But you can certainly imagine this if you do not. You think of one of your children. Would you be willing to see that child's life sacrificed to save somebody that really doesn't care? I'll tell you how I'd answer. I'll just be honest with you. I, I couldn't do that. I don't think I could do that. I just, it just, I just, I don't, I could not bring myself to have that kind of unconditional love. But God did. And he did it for you and I when we were the people who didn't care. When we were the people who were lost. When we were the people going astray. When we were the people who didn't know any better. When, people, when we were just doing what it was that we naturally did. Sinful as it was. But God withheld not, his own, not even his only, begotten, his only begotten son. The only one. His begotten son. And, and think of this son. This was a son who absolutely was perfect. He'd never done anything wrong. He never had to go to his father and say, you know what, I really did I mess up. I'm sorry. Could I have a second chance? There was nothing to apologize for. There was nothing to fix. He was perfect. And they were together in this perfect love. And it was the greatest gift because God loved us enough to not even withhold his own son. Not only from being born, becoming a man, laid in a manger, living among us for those years, but also dying on the cross. From the manger, from the manger to the cross, it was the gift of love. Now, why do you have to give that gift of love? Well, because the Bible tells us that the wages, the price to be paid for sin is death. And since we didn't, he didn't want us to pay that price, he paid the price for us with a substitute in his own son. So this greatest gift of love has been provided. It's been paid for. We'll come to the opportunity in just a moment how we receive it, but it's been given for you. You were not left out. You can never say, well, everybody else is the object of God's love and I've been left out because John 3.16 is still in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you. May that spin your dial back to the truth of love. Now, you, sometimes you think, let's just be another moment of honesty. We have a hard time loving some people. And sometimes we have a hard time loving any people. And sometimes our love is dispensed based on what we perceive or we know about their behavior, and particularly what, how they relate to us, right? Uh, I had a, a, a couple I knew years ago. They were missionaries. 
they, uh, they left their home here in the United States and went and served to be a gospel witness in Pakistan. And uh, she, this lady, the, the lady of the couple, was telling me this story. She said, I just thought, I'm a missionary. I, I know Christ. I'm saved. I'm, I'm part of the church. And I'm going to go to do this very noble thing to tell others about Christ. And I'm just going to love them. And she said, I, it, there, there were some people that you could love. Those people that were polite or those people that, that uh, you know, spoke by language and we could actually have a communication with. She said, but, you know, it was, it, was, it was not the level of standard living we're used to living, and it was kind of unsanitary, and sometimes they, they smelled a different way. And he, she said, I just suddenly realized I have a hard time loving people. And I had to let God work in my heart in that. Friends, sometimes we have a hard time loving people. And you know what? We'll spin our dial back to, to this in the right direction, get our minds back in the right direction. Just remember that God loved us when we were very unlovable that we were loved and we were given this greatest gift. Now, the next phrase is this, the greatest opportunity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, there is some opportunity for us, and it's, a, it's, it's open to all of us. It's the greatest opportunity to whoever. Nobody's left out. Nobody's on the outside looking in. In fact, if you want to read this verse and still be accurate to the thought, you could read this verse and take whoever out and insert your own name as you read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that your name, if he believes or she believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. This is for you. The greatest opportunity. And it's an opportunity I want to encourage you not to miss. If you come this morning and you know him as Savior, just, just, just get our minds back on the love of God. If you're not one of his children, that's a, an open question. I just want to remind you, you're not left out of this, this great opportunity. God's love was for you. Christ's death was for you. Christ's coming was for you. He came to be your Savior. He came to be an example, yes, but he came to die for you. Whosoever, an opportunity for you. And then that opportunity is followed up by the greatest responsibility. You see it in the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. By the way, this is the great theme of John's gospel, all 21 chapters of it. It's the great theme of the Bible, really. But John, at the end of this, this, this book that, that we're in, only chapter 3 in today, he writes later, he says, These are written, what he's written, These are written that you may believe and that believing you may have life through his name. The intent of these words is to bring us to belief. And here's how we receive Christ as Savior. Jesus died to pay that sins penalty. And we have to come to the point that we believe in that for me. Personal belief. That yes, that is what I'm trusting in. He is whom I'm trusting in. This reality is what I'm clinging to. If you have come to that point of belief, the two great things left that we're going to talk about in just a moment are already for you. If you're not... The great news is this opportunity is as present tense as this very second. It's present tense for you. And if you need some help understanding that, you have some questions, it's, you feel like there's a, there's a tug in your heart, I would really want to be one of God's children, I want to understand what that means, but I, I really, I, I'm just, I need someone to guide me and help me. We'd be glad to st just help you with that. Pastor Adam will be here at the front at the end of the service. I'll be at the back. We could talk to you. Maybe you come with a Christian friend. They could have that conversation with you as well. Just say, help me understand what it means to be saved, what it means to be a believer, what it means to be 
one of God's children. We'd be glad to take the time, pray with you, help you in any way we can. That, stand, that invitation is always open. But it's a responsibility that you have to take. You know, you can say, here's a gift. Here's a gift. But you have to take it. You have to receive it. Recently, it was with some, some, a couple, Julie and I was with a couple, and we tried to give them a gift. And we gave them the gift. A little bit later, my wife says, well, while you were gone, they handed me this, which was some cash to pay for the, pay for the gift. Which I appreciate that. That was very generous of them. They didn't, they, they didn't want us paying for this thing for them. But uh, it, it ruined the gift. It was no longer a gift. A gift has to be received. You don't pay for it. You don't earn it. You just receive it. The gift waits for you. It's the, great, it's the absolute greatest opportunity. And it's a genuine opportunity. Sometimes the things that look loving wind up fake. I got this big envelope in the mail. I mean, it, it had to be kind of rolled up to get into my mailbox. And I get this thing. It says, an invitation for you. Invitation to come to this nice restaurant in Charleston for this fantastic steak dinner and you don't have to pay for it. But down in the fine print, you'll be offered at this meeting an opportunity to be involved in this financial something or other. Right? Okay. They're going to buy, they're going to pay me for a sales pitch buy a steak dinner. It's a little tempting, by the way, but I, I, I'm not going. But it, it sounds so good. This is a gift of love, but we really want something in return. There's no something in return. All, all, all God does is want to save us and then take care of us for the rest of our lives into all eternity. It's the real deal. It's the genuine opportunity, greatest opportunity. And then you see the greatest escape. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We sometimes like to emphasize the good and we like, to, we like to highlight the positive. But we need to remember that, that God's word is very balanced in giving us the positive and the negative. And when it says should not perish, included in that are the scriptural concepts of lostness. Being condemned before God. To being confined in a place of torment and pain. And darkness for all eternity includes the concepts of eternity and separation from God and hell itself. Every once in a while, even we as believers need to stop and remind ourselves what God has saved us from. And that'll spin your dials back to the amazing love of God. God, you love me enough to keep... I, that's what I deserve. That's where I should be. That's what I should experience. But you saved me from that. Lord, spin that back to me. And in those moments when I have doubts, let me, let me just come back to his love. You know, our, our enemy loves to just plant some little seeds of doubt in our minds, and then we take it from there. You did that. How can you be one of God's children? Don't you feel all alone? Don't you feel disappointed? Don't you feel hurt? How could God love you? Maybe you're not saved. One of the realities is simply this. Most people who are, people who are unsaved really don't have doubts about it. It's usually those of us who come to faith that he puts those seeds of doubts in. But here's where you need to go. Just spin the dial back to God loves me. Jesus died for me. He says if I believe in him, I would not perish but have everlasting life. You come to that reality. You come back to that which is started by his love, by this source, the extent, and all the other things we've talked about of his love. And it pulls us back to that stability. You have some doubts. You have some struggles. Come back to God's love. And then the last, the greatest gain, but have everlasting life. Now let's imagine for a moment that we all formed a business 
And in our business, we came up with a pill that was guaranteed to extend people's lives by a minimum of 10 years. Do you think we'd be rich before the end of the month? Do you think people might line up to buy that? I think the stock of that company would soar through the roof. Just a pill that would give you an extra 10 years of life. We'd sign up for that. We'd want to take it. Well, there is no such pill, but God offers a gift that will give you eternal life for all eternity. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to manufacture it. All you have to do is accept it. Eternal life. Eternal life is promised and prepared for you. And it's not just a continuation of this existence. Boy, that would be kind of miserable, wouldn't it? You know, bodies that break down and hurt and have problems and injuries and all the rest in a world that's marked with sin and, and the struggles we even have as sin as believers. No, an eternal existence in God's presence in a place where there is no sin, no pain, no dying, tears are wiped away, and we have a purpose which is to bring glory to God, the one who saved us for all eternity. That's what awaits for you. You know why? Because God loves you. And when it comes to us extending love to other people, and sometimes we have those people that are hard to love, it is pushed on by the fact that he loved me that much. I didn't deserve it. Why should I withhold it from somebody that I think doesn't deserve it? It should also secure. And may the love of God secure our hearts. May it direct our steps. May it guard our minds. May it motivate us to be people who love other people. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.